This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. Within a matter of weeks, COVID-19 government restrictions have led thousands of American churches to live stream their services. On Sunday, March 8th, the church online platform streamed worship to more than 4.7 million devices, which is more than four times its typical reach. The ministry also said that in a seven-day span, 8,800 churches had joined their platform. But for some pastors and church leaders, transitioning to this new normal has been challenging or at times painful. I'm not going to tell you our service today will be awesome and unmissable or the best online service that will change your life. I was sick and the sermon was just okay, tweeted New York City-based pastor John Tyson. In fact, I have found this online stuff sad and hard. Preaching to a camera is not what I was made for. In a later tweet, he wrote, Tomorrow I'll set my heart, lean into a new reality, embrace the opportunity, leverage technology, build for the platforms. Get a black belt in using Zoom for pastoral care. All the online things. We wanted to spend this week focusing on churches who are reaching a digitally engaged population. Next week, we'll talk about churches who pastor congregations who are less connected. To that end, we wanted to discuss best practices and creativity in church service live streams, but also how church leaders' headspaces are changing as they try to meet their congregations digitally. Today is Wednesday, March 25th, and you are listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, digital media producer here at Christianity Today. And I'm Ted Olson. I'm editorial director at Christianity Today. And I am at home like many of you. <laughs> all right, Ted, I want to hear all your thoughts on this really remarkable and kind of intense transition that we're, we're experiencing right now. Uh, it is rare that we hit a subject that literally hits every single quick to listen listener. And so this is definitely one of those. It's first of all, being Christianity today during this time has been, you know, interesting because it's, there's so many stories for us to go report and look into. And so that's been busy. But also, yeah, I'm on our church vestry or our church board. And there's just been so many questions that our uh, pastors and our, our other church leaders have been having to answer in quick succession make last minute pivots and do all these do all these things uh, this last week. So the other trick for me is I am a, a lay preacher and I have long been scheduled to preach this coming Saturday. So the questions of how do you preach to a camera versus an online uh, or versus a versus a physical congregation, these are not you know, academic, or these are not merely journalistic questions for someone like me, because I am literally trying to figure out, like, how do I need to adjust my preaching style? My gut check is very real this week on this on these questions, uh, Morgan. How about you? Yeah, it's really interesting just to think about all of this happening at the same time across everyone, but also that you know, all of these live streams are looking very different. I had a church service that I attended on Saturday night. We normally meet and have meals together. We just kind of like took out the meal portion, which 
to me was actually kind of sad. There's something like really nice, obviously, about actually eating together. And I was curious about whether or not we would be eating together and just kind of hanging out in Zoom together. We did not. So the service ended up being about an hour long, which is about... I don't know, 45 minutes shorter than it normally is when there's time for people to eat. But it did raise questions to me about like, what do we consider part of service? What are the things that you want to keep in there? Yeah, I also just, the the service is usually very discussion heavy because it's pretty small and I didn't really feel in the mood to discuss that much stuff. I know anyway, I know this is a very like hyper-personal example, but I've just really been thinking a lot about how live stream is, is affecting directly how I experience church. Honestly, the things about it that frustrate me. I think it's mostly a reaction to just not being able to have church in person and missing people and being kind of human starved in general. But I'm glad that we're going to talk about this because I I liked how we were able to share those words from John Tyson at the beginning. That is a good reminder that church leaders and pastors are really having to make their own sacrifices and compromises as well. So speaking of which, who is our guest today? Our guest is Daniel Fusco. He is the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. He has been a longtime advocate of getting churches to have more of a presence on social media and in other online forums. You may have seen one of his popular two-minute message videos on, on Facebook. It's, it's also on YouTube. Uh, he's a regular contributor to Preaching Today and CT Pastors. He has a, a radio program, Jesus is Real Radio. He's got a TV show, Real with Daniel Fusco, that's on Hillsong Channel and other, other channels. And we are eager to have him because we need... <laughs> We need people who've been thinking about this for longer than just a couple of weeks on what to do as as we go online and how to do it wisely. So so welcome, Daniel. Morgan, Ted, I'm super excited to be with everybody. Daniel, I just want to talk to someone like, or I'm, I'm really glad that we get to talk to someone like you who's been using video for a really long time. And I was wondering what initially encouraged you to get on that particular medium. So the initial encouragement was a couple of things. So like, you know, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, which is kind of statistically the the least churched area in America. Now, every area is unique in, in this way, but, you know, we have a uniqueness for it. And so what we realized in looking at just kind of our community, let alone our church family at Crossroads, was that there's really three types of people. There are people who uh, don't go to church. And that's, you know, they believe in Jesus, but they don't go, right? Statistics tell us that there's a lot of those. There's people who can't go to church, which are people who want to go, but for whatever reason they can't. Maybe they're on vacation. Maybe they have a sick kid uh, at home. Uh, maybe they, they're taking care of a, a loved one or they have some sort of a, you know, they're homebound for whatever reason. And then there's people who won't go to church, who, you know, don't believe and, and, and they don't, and they don't, you know, they don't engage in church. They're just kind of against it. What we found is that all three of those groups have an internet connection. For the folks who can't go to church, but want to, we realize that this is a way for us to be able to disciple our folks, you know, whether they're traveling, you know, they, the statistics tell us now that the, the regular church attender goes uh, less than one and a half times a month statistically. I never fact checked that. I've just heard that many, many times. So I pass it along for what it's worth. For those folks, you know, as a pastor, we, we put series together. There's a continuity to it. Maybe we're teaching through books of the Bible, which is something that I do uh, regularly. I, and people are missing half the time. And so it's an opportunity for the people who can't go for whatever reason they can stay engaged. For the people who don't go, this is an opportunity. For, and people don't go for lots of different reasons. We have folks in our church who, you know, they have a new baby. And with the first baby, they're just scared to bring them out in the public. This is before all this has gone on with the coronavirus and everything. And so it's a way to be able to keep those folks being fed and engaged because for whatever reason, they're not going. And then of course, for the folks who won't go to church, 
I think that uh, the digital platform, the digital ministry is the easiest way to do evangelism because they might never come to your church, but they are on Facebook. They are on YouTube. They have friends who who know the Lord and, and, and who go to church. And we found it to be a, an enormous feeder for evangelism. So one thing that John had mentioned in his tweets was this challenge of going from preaching and teaching in front of a live audience or in front of your actual congregants versus filming something over video. And I'm wondering how you can talk about how, you know, learning how to prepare for both of those different formats. What did that process look like for you? Before I got to Crossroads, now Crossroads is like kind of your traditional first generation megachurch, you know, founded in 1975 and grew huge. And, and I was the successor of Bill Ritchie, who's our founding pastor. And and so, but before I got to Crossroads, which is a very large church, I had been church planning in, in my home state of New Jersey and also in the San Francisco Bay Area. When I got to Crossroads, you know, Crossroads has a, a very large sanctuary and there are screens on the sides. And I remember when I first started at Crossroads, I remember noticing that it, unless somebody said in the first like three rows of the sanctuary, everybody looked at the screens. And I remember being like, I wonder why they're looking over there. And they're like, oh, I'm over there too. And what I realized is that for probably eight, 90% of the sanctuary, at least at Crossroads, people were looking at the screen. And then one of our creative arts leaders said, Daniel, don't forget when you look at the camera, you're actually looking at the bulk of the people. So in our context, it became very apparent that when I look at those cameras, there's a lot of people who are looking at the screens. And so I'm actually looking at them. And that was kind of a, a unique reality. Now, obviously, for all, for almost all pastors, I can't speak for everybody. Like we went into the ministry because we love God, we love people. And so there is no doubt, like as I prepared for all of that's going on right now, we went and we did six services that we preached to in an empty sanctuary. Uh, we did this a couple of weeks ago, kind of expecting to be locked down because of you know COVID-19 and all this. And so it is definitely weird to preach to an empty sanctuary because even though we have a big a digital ministry and all the stuff that we do, I still just really, we do it for people. But really then I'm always reminded that, so when you look at the cameras, you're actually looking at all your people. And in this environment, that's how that's working. But I think the other side of it, we always have to remember that as pastors and as preachers, we get to speak to God, but we do it in public. And so really the preaching we do is is an act of glorifying God and then people get the benefit. And so in the same way, because uh, God is in, in, in the primary and people are in the secondary, I, I would always say that we should, I have to remember that I can preach and glorify God even if no one's in the room. And as a church planner, I actually did that a bunch where you'd start a, ser- a service and there's no one there and you're preaching to an empty sanctuary and then you watch a couple of people trickle in. And so that's a good humbling reminder of like, why are we doing all this anyway? I'm wondering about, it's clear to me what the disadvantages are of preaching preaching to an empty room where you know there's still a lot of people watching uh, watching on on camera at home you know it seems it, it would be harder to kind of read the room uh, like you mentioned it can feel a little bit lonely or just feel a little bit awkward are there advantages uh, to preaching only to uh, to a camera I mean are there things that you can do as a uh, as a pastor and as a preacher when you only have a camera in the room that you can't do when you have a a, a congregation full of people in, in, in pews or chairs Sure. So, I mean, I, th- I think the, the biggest thing that I've learned over time is that, you know, we do have a tendency to, to read the room, play to the room. And what I've realized that in the, in the act of, of proclaiming the good news of Jesus, teaching the scriptures, we have a tendency to read the room all wrong. Like I remember as a, as a young church planter, the, the first time I got to do a church plant when I was in my uh, mid-20s, on the same weekend, 
there was a younger couple who came and visited, and then there was an older lady who was there. And all through the sermon, the younger couple just kind of stared at the wall. And the older woman was kind of very effusively agreeing with me. And so in my in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I am not doing a good job for that couple over there. And this one lady, she's really like, she's going to be back. She's stoked, you know? And sure enough, after the service, the young couple just walked out the back door and, and the woman came up and said, that was one of the best sermons I ever heard. And I'm so excited about this church. And if you if you go to the next week, I never saw the older woman again. And that young couple came back and became leaders in the church. And they told me that when we first came in, the message was so convicting. God was just dealing with me and God was doing a work. And so in the end of the day, when you're not trying to read the room or you're not trying to understand what people are feeling and all of those things, you get to focus on the task at hand, which is just clearly explaining who the Lord is, what he's done, what the word of God teaches. And I think that there is a a strength to that because I always think of what God told Jeremiah as a, a young prophet, a young preacher, where he told him not to look at their faces. And so I think sometimes as pastors, we can be too swayed by the response we're getting from the room, as opposed to just kind of getting at the task at hand. I'm not recommending uh, not being aware of what's going on either, but I think that one of the benefits is like without all the fluff, you know, sometimes I think things can be just a lot more focused. I'm also wondering, you know, in this opportunity, there are definitely different people watching the screens than maybe in an ordinary setting. So I'm thinking like, for example, you know, most churches separate children from adults during sermons or even during, you know, bulk of the Sunday worship experience. And it seems to me that's very much not going to be the case during the coronavirus isolation period. Probably it will be families watching together. I'm just curious about, you know, video preaching to families, different from in-person preaching to families, or let's start there. Let's start there with the, the, the question about, you know, families watching. Are you finding your preaching approach changing or are what's changing if with the idea that there's probably kids there's probably people with different attention spans there's probably people with different understandings yeah so what we do is we we actually have crossroads kids is also a digital service and we've been doing that for a while as well because in our normal service we would separate out kids from uh, their parents uh, as long as the parents want to do that they can bring their kids in the sanctuary and that's not a problem and so but yeah be, because you realize that it's it's going to be different then obviously it causes you to approach things differently so like re- one of the reasons I'm a big advocate of digital ministry is because at any given time when you like for most people when they're when they're preaching they just assume okay so everybody here loves the lord that's and they love this church and i think that assumption alone it makes us kind of amissional in a sense like where we we don't realize that the work of evangelism the work of reaching lost people our weekend gatherings our sunday services you know whatever it is that we call those those events those are opportunities to reach lost people. So when we started live streaming our services, this was now, and we've been doing it for a while, but then really intentionally about seven years ago, we became very aware very quickly that people would, you know, people drive by a church if they if they won't go to church, they have a, a, a preconceived idea about what church is. Where I live, it was extraordinarily negative. Like they're like, man, we just feel like everybody in there, like there's kind of angry men preaching. They hate their wives. They hate their kids. They hate everyone who doesn't believe like they do. They had this very specific, you know, a kind of a, almost like a caricature of the worst possible version of a Christian. But then when all of a sudden you show them your worship service, all of a sudden people are watching it because one of their friends shared the service or whatever. And they're like, they, they find themselves weeping during the worship time. Or all of a sudden the 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 sermon goes and they hear they haven't had their appetite wet for the word of God in 
maybe forever, you know, and then before they know it, they're looking forward to it. And I meet people all the time and they're like, so I started watching your services online. I really like your talk. Like they don't even like, they don't have the language. I mean, like I started crying during the music. Is that normal? Like they have all these questions simply because we allowed them a view into our family. And so for me, what I have found is that the live stream, because you realize it's not the faithful folks who are always at the church, but there's a wider audience, it does, uh, you start to talk a little differently. You you begin to realize that not, I always say that like everyone is on a, a unique step of their faith journey, even in every church. But when you start to realize that, man, there's a lot of people who don't know the Lord who are watching this. There's a lot of kids who are watching this. There's going to be a bunch of teenagers who are there, you know, and, and obviously then you begin to apply the text that you're preaching kind of in unique ways because you realize you know that you're speaking to a specific audience. From a technical standpoint, Daniel, I I was wondering if you could give maybe four or five things that go into a quality live stream. Okay, yeah. So uh, so first, obviously you need to have an internet connection because it can't be it can't be streamed without it. And then second, you need to have some sort of a recording device. One of the things that I love about what's going on right now as so many churches are jumping into the space is that nobody is expecting. I, I mean, like if someone were to watch the Crossroads live service, like, I mean, we got multiple cameras and hosts, there's all these things going on, but we've also been doing it for a really, really long time and have made kind of intentional steps in it. But because of what's going on, nobody's actually expecting this crazy high production value. Like I, I think that for every church, you need to do whatever you're doing in a way that is authentic to who you are. And like right now, one of the things I love is like, I always joke that like the two minute messages began with me holding an iPhone Monday to Friday in the morning, just so I can minister to the folks on Crossroads. And then, you know, as it became popular, then, it, you know, we got multiple cameras and, you know, they made me put on nice shirts and, and make sure like my hair was, I mean, I, I have long hair and stuff, make sure my hair looked appropriate. There was a number of things that changed as they became more popular. But now I think, you know, people attend a specific church because it speaks to them. I think that whatever somebody does, make sure it's authentic to who you are. Like, so for us, like, you know, uh, we went in and recorded a lot of worship songs already. I went and recorded six different service sermons, you know, and we uh, are able to edit together because we have a big team that's involved because of just, you know, what we're doing and how we normally are just working before all this happened. But just make it really authentic. And I think that what people really want, like you were talking, Morgan, about, you know, having a meal and it's smaller and it's interactive. And so given that that is, you know, the way that God is ministering to you, then a church that is facilitating that, then you want to find a way, how can I represent this? Not, it won't be perfect because we can't meet together, but how can we keep all these things that these are the reasons why we, we gather this way, make it really authentic to who you are. There is some value in looking around, what are people doing? But in a lot of ways, I, I believe what the Bible says, you know, that, that we're all, there's one body and then we're members individually. So you know, whether a church does, you know, a high production value or a church is like, well, I actually never do this. We're doing it just straight lo-fi. It, it really doesn't matter. I don't think. I think that the folks who this is their church family, they just want to find a way to connect in this unique environment. And so just be truly authentic to it. And then the only other thing that I would say is that uh, when you look at everything through a screen or through a camera lens, I think it's just important just to kind of look at it and say, is this the best way it could look the way that we're doing it? Like I remember when we started doing our live streaming our services, there used to be like most often a preacher would have like a water bottle on the pulpit. And then someone was like, you know, that water bottle looks pretty bad through a camera. Maybe we should put a mug on the pulpit. We're like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. You know? And, and so some of those little aesthetic things 
just to make it a little bit look a little nicer. But I don't think we should get hung up on kind of production value and all these things. Just make it authentic. And, and when it's authentic, then I think people will be blessed by it. So I hear you, but I also have sat through bad live streams before. <laughs> so I do wonder if you have any best practices with regards to should we shoot vertically? Should we shoot horizontally? Do we need a tripod? What's going to happen if it's someone's hand is there? How should people be mic'd, lighting? Just all that type of stuff that really can impede people's concentration if it's not kind of figured out ahead of time. Okay, so to get real technical then, if you're if the goal is to do this the best way that you can then the answer would be yes get a tripod yes get a DSLR camera or something that is recording in good quality yes the lighting matters so like you can go on Amazon and buy like a newer lighting device that is you know shows up it comes on a stand and you know but you have to like you know if you can get a couple people there to kind of help with it you know, a uh, multiple cameras uh, could look good if you have someone who can edit it. So one of the things that we did was as we started to do the live stream, we would slowly, I, I think that all, all of us, we want to do things excellently as unto the Lord. And that doesn't mean that excellence is our God, but it's like, we want to give God our best, you know, as an act of worship. And so what you did last week, you, you and your team, if, if, if you know, or, or the leaders or whoever are doing this, you should go and watch it and say, okay, what can we do better next time? And little small uh, corrections as we go is the best way to do it. I think microphones, obviously, if you can, if you can get a lapel mic or if you could find a way to run, you know, a regular kind of good old fashioned Shure microphone or Sennheiser, whatever you use, that will always sound better than just using the, the microphone on a camera. All of those things, they're little things for the people who just love the church. They'll be, they'll, they'll endure it, but maybe they shouldn't have to. So I think, you know, all those little steps. And I tell a lot of pastors that in a lot of this stuff, you need to get the people who are tech savvy to be involved in that. Now I realize some, some churches don't do technology. It's not really their, their, their style. Other ones do, but I think getting people involved who have aptitudes in that area. I think that's also pretty important. You know, even with with what's going on right now, we we still have delivery options, and so you can pick up a bunch of stuff on Amazon. That will all of it will help a little bit in the short term if you want to make that investment. So I think all of those things do matter as a second layer. I, th I think just taking care of your people that's the most important thing. And then once you're doing it, how do we incrementally make it better with each time we we do a live stream? This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. 
Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. You clearly have some things that you do live and some things that you do pre-recorded that you're you're either editing in or, or uh, running during the live stream. What have you found works well live? What do you really want to keep live? And what are things that you could say, ah, that, that works well, that may work better as a, as a pre-record? For us, our Sunday services are always streamed live and we have specific aspects that are that are cut away to our online kind of campus hosts because we want to always break. I think when you're using technology, the, the key is to break down the, the wall of the technology. So when people are, you know, coming online and, you know, our hosts are like, Hey, you know, uh, let us know, you know, who you are and where you're from. And people are like, Hey, this is my first time. My name is Brian and I'm from, you know, I'm from Canada. And then our host sometimes are like, Hey, we just want to give a shout out to Brian from Canada joining us for the very first time. Just those ways of making people realize that, you know, like I always like to tell people that God sees us and uh, we want to make sure that people know that we see them as well. You know, normally what we do is if you were to watch, like if you were to watch a, a live service from like three weeks ago and you can find it on the Crossroads Facebook page, it's go the number two and then Crossroad. That's our, our, our Facebook page. You can watch the services from like two weeks ago before we were we were not having service. And you'll see that everything is live except for the stuff that we do cutaway. Now, because we're, we're unable to meet, we do certain things that are that we, we pre-recorded everything and we spliced it together because we have really good video folks. But I think that you can do everything live. Like normally we do everything in one big take. It's just a Sunday service, flaws and all. Because you know the gospel is not that we are perfect. It says Jesus is perfect and he forgives us in our imperfections. And so we don't really have any problem with being flawed in public because we just figure we're doing that every day. As churches move into a place where this live stream is basically replacing their Sunday service, I'm just curious, how would you suggest that they maybe mentally prepare for that live stream? And what ways, as someone who has been a pastor for a long time, what ways would you say that their thinking should differ from the normal Sunday morning prep that they might do? I always tell people that, like, the first thing you have, you can't, you, it's not about which one is better. Right now, churches being only digital, like, I've never advocated a digital-only strategy. There are churches that that's what they do. It's just digital. It's just, you know, everything is online or just an app. I've never advocated that. But but saying which one you like better, to me, that's that that initial judgment is already poo-pooing. This is what God has given us today. It, it's not a matter that I'm saying you should only do digital. It's like, no, it's like you can only do digital right now. So it is different. You just have to embrace that it's different. You can be, it might not be your preference. That's fine, but this is just all we have. And so just, you just have to jump in and say, while this is like this, and maybe you're like, look, this is a short term fix. When this is all said and done, we're never going to do digital again. And that's fine. But in this moment, this is all we have to be able to care for our people. And so we jump in it and we say, Lord, bear the fruit you want to bear in my life. Do what you want to do and, and just embrace it for what it is. I think on the out, at the end of all this, a lot of churches that have not done anything digitally will continue to use the digital as a strategy, which has always been my recommendation. Like it's a great, if you want to do evangelism, it's a great strategy. If you want to be able to care for your people as they have sick kids and they're traveling and they're shut-ins and there's this going on or that going on, it's a great way to do it. And right now we're forced to have to navigate the space in order to be able to take care of it. And so for me, in all those ways, I just say, just you have to embrace it for what it is and figure out how can I do this the best and most authentic way possible in this moment, because this is the only option that I have. 
I'm wondering, as we think of these uh, digital strategies, you know, most churches have probably done a week or two of, of trial and error with, you know, streaming services. Probably most of those streaming services have, have been pretty focused on, on music and, and preaching. What do you think is most likely to be forgot as something to build into the system? You know, as congregations are planning out weekend services, uh, I'm part of a, a, a closed Facebook group where someone was talking about how they, you know, said, you know, we've we intentionally recently built our building. We intentionally built out a big narthex for people to gather, you know, before and after the service. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what is the digital version of the narthex? So they said, you know, week one, we just set up, you know, six different Zoom rooms for people to wander in and out of after the service for as long as they wanted to. I think they, they said like a 45 minute time limit on them. And they said, I don't know if we'll do that again next week, but it was something nice to, to try this week. But what are other things that might kind of get you know, that, that would be good to think about that churches may not be thinking about as they're really focused on, man, you know, we got to make sure we got the, the music working this way and the sermon working this way. Yeah. So obviously the idea of the community piece to it. So I love the idea of the multiple Zoom rooms. If you're on Facebook, you can open up a Facebook online group for your church so that people can, con- if they're catching it on Facebook, they can congregate there. So so finding those ways to do community. When someone has a prayer request, one of the things that we do, because in, in all the streaming services, there is the, the conversation function, the chat function. So one of the things that we do is, and we've been doing this for years, is that when, when, like when I'm reading scripture, there'll be hosts who who are there who will be posting the scripture. If, if his prayer request will be like, hey, does anyone have a prayer request? And if someone shares a prayer request, we'll have those hosts and, and our hosts are vetted and they have to be safe people. And they'll say, hey, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you a direct message to be able to connect with them offline. What I always tell people is that even though we can't gather together, if someone has a need and you're all there right then, you can say, hey, listen, let me direct message you. And then can I give you a phone call? You know, and then you can literally pick up the phone and call people. So I, I think we have to remember that all the analog ways of doing ministry still exist. Uh, you can pray with somebody over the phone. You can pray for somebody in a direct message. You can say, you know, whether you use Skype or this or that, there's so many different uh, platforms to be able to, to do it. I think one of the things that, that we've done in live services, not only digitally, is during the message, say, if you have any questions ask the questions and our pastor is going to later record a video. And he's going to answer your questions. So it gives the opportunity to have all the discussion stuff. Don't neglect the Lord's table. One of the things we do on communion Sundays at Crossroads is we tell everyone, listen, if you're joining us online, today is a communion Sunday. So we're going to, we're going to partake of the elements together. So go get what you can use for that. We use the bread and the cup, uh, but if, if, if you're gluten-free to get an apple and water, you know, and, and, or whatever it is that you need to do. Uh, and so that we can partake of the Lord's table together. Now, obviously it's, it's different, but given it's all that we have, or for us, when we have all these folks who are watching, who are not at one of our gatherings and we're having, we're partaking of communion, we're just including them into it. Today is a communion Sunday for offering and generosity. Uh, if you, you know, you could set up online giving as well. And so, you know, Hey, these are the ways, even though we can't gather together, these are the ways that you you can worship Jesus by being generous. So all the things that you would normally do, I think you can still do. You just have to kind of think through it. Like, how would this play if this if we were only doing this digitally? Ted, did your liturgical self want to talk more about communion? Uh, I mean, I mean, this is you know, this is obviously one of the big you know dividing areas in the in the church, and even in our Anglican, even in our Anglican world, you know, different churches are doing different things. One of the interesting things our church did was the Saturday. This was we we the governor had already said that he would be you know 
issuing this uh, you know, shelter. In, Illinois doesn't call it shelter in place, but whatever, essentially the stay home order that was going to go into effect Saturday night. So Saturday afternoon, we had kind of a drive through where people could pick up a reserved sacrament and take it home and, and, and be able to have consecrated elements here at, at home. But we're also doing you know spiritual communion. There's a long, rich history of even in strong liturgical sacramental churches to be able to do communion even without bread or wine. You know, there's a there's a huge breadth and also a lot of different opportunities. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's we're feeling very limited right now. I think everyone is feeling like, oh, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do this. You know, church history also offers and and you know, just the teachings of our own individual traditions have a have a lot of resources. This is not the first time people have had to stay home. This is not the first time that people have had to figure this out. This is not the first time people have had to find community when they're isolated. So I think pulling from some of those traditions. No, I, so yeah, when I when I hear that, I don't I don't blanch. I'm like that's that's interesting how different people are doing are, are doing it differently. I guess that you know that is an interesting thing is is learning from other traditions in this live stream. I am in this live stream era. It does offer a real easy. You mentioned visitors going to different churches. I think even for like you know Christians who are well established in their congregations to be able to participate in something that's not that doesn't feel quite so consumery. Like I do I do feel like sometimes when I listen to sermons from other pastors or when I you know watch other streams from other churches it can feel a little bit like not consumer consumeristic might be the might be the vibe but it can feel a little bit odd it can feel a little bit like I'm inter you know, a bit of an interloper but the live stream opportunity does give this opportunity to actually participate in another service that's actively going on in a way that I think a podcasted sermon or watching another another church's service the day later or two days later doesn't feel like. I guess it would feel, especially for someone at Christianity Today, it would feel it feels less like work and more like worship to to engage in a church that's actively that's actively worshiping rather than like popping in to see what you know this preacher's preaching on this week. So I'm 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 eager for that. I'm eager for that during this period. Anything that you're looking forward to? Just this is giving you an opportunity to do as a pastor that you couldn't have done during kind of the regular everyday ministry? Because we don't do a digital only strategy, obviously our kind of our our digital approach between everything that we do has been kind of evolving as everything else is evolving. And so because right now we're we're limited to a digital only strategy, we feel like this is like so we we're just kind of wired to always say, okay, God, if this is what you're doing, how do we get the most how do we bear the most fruit in the midst of this? Because it's digital only right now, we are seeing this first as we are going to take all the next steps with our digital with what we're doing digitally because it's the only option we have to be able to care for the crossroads family and reach out into the community at a time where people are asking big questions seeking answers which i believe that jesus is ultimately the answer for me it's a great opportunity to really take all that we're doing digitally to the next level it's also for us given we've always been that we need to have a digital component to kind of everything. Like, let me give you an example. Just yesterday, I received a, a letter in the mail because of the 2020 census. They, they give me my own number. I go in online. I give them all the information. No one comes to my door. I just give them all the information. I'm like, oh, look at that. So census is now digital as well. In every area, it's like we always say we want to have a digital counterpart to everything that we can do in the house because I don't expect technology to to slow down. I believe that ultimately the Church of Jesus Christ will be the last kind of bastion of true embodied community that will be left. And I can't wait. And I, not that I want it to be that way. I just, I ultimately, the, the body of Christ together is the key. But 
I think for especially the younger generation, the digital space, that is their native language. I, this happened the other day. I was at a, the basketball at one of my kids' games. The ref was an older guy and all of the kids were sitting down after their game and they were a bunch of them were staring at their devices. And he came over and he was like, oh, look at this generation is staring at their phones, you know, and you kind of like poo pooed and they all like kind of looked up and they had their earbuds in. So they didn't hear him anyway. But, but I'm just reminded, I'm like, actually, because they're raised this way, these are middle schoolers with devices. I'm like, this is their native language. And because God is incarnational, I just think it's important for the people of God of whatever tribe and persuasion to be incarnational, not only digitally, but be able to speak that language fluently to be able to reach not only the younger, but an emerging generation that is more technologically connected, even if we don't believe it's the same connection as it is interpersonally, which I personally do. People still heart language is one-on-one people, but the digital space is their native tongue. And I think that in order to, if, if Jesus tarries, in order to be able to do ministry and reach the emerging generation, we have to be digitally literate, even if it's not our native tongue. Given what you're saying, Daniel, I'm wondering if you can just talk about that tension that I'm sure a lot of church leaders feel right now where they want people to stay invested in the live stream and continue this touch point that they have with the church that they go to. But they also do want to kind of communicate the importance of this in-person meeting and of people kind of prioritizing that or being willing to accommodate that, especially given just the friction that exists to go to an actual thing on Sunday morning, which is generally when churches are held versus queuing up a live stream. People often ask me, and when we first started the talking about the live streaming, this was years ago, I had one of our pastors was like, this is a bad idea because people are going to just choose to watch online instead of coming to the church because, you know, we're creating consumers. And I always like to remind people that the church actually didn't create consumers our culture created consumers and our God is a redeemer. God's heart is to redeem a consumeristic culture. What I always tell people is that if somebody would rather watch Crossroads online than come to Crossroads, that's actually not their fault. That's my fault because I'm actually not giving them in person something so much more substantial than just worship, sacraments, and word. Like We like to think that when we gather together, it is a community, but is it really... Are we just people in one space or is there real relationships being built? What we have found is that even though we offer the live stream we have for years, we've grown through all these years because when people are online, they miss their church family, right? They want to be there. When people are watching online, we're always like, listen, come and join us. It's, it's the same, but it's not the same because you'll be around your brothers and sisters. And, and so for us, it became like a challenge. Like if all we are is, you know, great worship and good preaching, then yeah, consumers are just going to consume that. Right. But, but if the church is truly the people of God gathered together in, in the name of, of Jesus, empowered by the spirit, you know, learning the word of God, it has to be something so much more substantial when we gather together. So is there a tension? Yes. Do we have to, you know, I always say that our job is not to resolve the tension. Our job is to learn how to manage it. And we don't want to get too far on one side or the other. We want to be right in that sweet spot, embracing that, yeah, it's like the church gathers and the church scatters, but we can also gather in a scattered way for all different real reasons. And I think that our given, our cultural moment right now, actually, we have attention. And so our job is just to figure out how to feel comfortable in Christ, in the tension of what this moment is and how this is all working. So Livestream offers a really interesting opportunity for innovation. 
I'm just curious, Daniel, what are some creative ways for church leaders to lean into this process and what type of risks might you suggest that they take? Anytime you have a limitation, you have two options. You can either just complain about it or you can say, well, given my limitations, I'm going to figure out a way to get this thing done. Like you're saying, like the the digital landscape, like the, the whole swath of what is digital ministry, what you can call that, that creates the opportunity for innovation. And, and really, a lot of it is just trying different things that think that you think would make sense and just giving it a good, you know, good old fashioned trial. Like I always say that, you know, for all of us, we move through kind of three categories. We start with orientation and then we move into imitation. And then the people who really, you know, land at, you know, we could call it for lack of a better word, genius level, they landed origination. So like if you started playing the guitar, you pick it up, you learn what the strings are, you learn some chords, then you start like, hey, my favorite guitar player is insert your favorite guitar player's name. And you start to learn all their solos and all their licks and all that stuff. And then the people who keep playing through, they end up finding their own space. And so I think with the digital thing, you know, if someone's brand new right now, just get oriented, just, you know, you're just trying things, right? And then as you get a little bit more comfortable in the space, you start looking around, what are other people doing? Who's digital stuff do I enjoy? And how can I create something like that? That's a great thing. And then if you keep going with it, eventually you find you find that you're doing things that, you know, it's kind of unique to who you are. I just always tell people, and this is a cultural value that we have at Crossroads, that we just have a high bias for for experimentation. Part of it's my personality. Like I always tell our leaders, like, you know, we're going to try things. It's not all going to work. So, so no one has to feel like they have to bat a thousand, kind of the old baseball analogy. To make it into the Hall of Fame, you only got to get a hit one out of three times. You, you, you bat over 300 for your entire career. Good chance you're making it into the Hall of Fame. And so I think you just have to be okay with trying and failing and, and adjusting and, and course correcting and just be willing to, if you're going to fail, then just fail forward, you know, like learn from it and just keep moving. So as we wrap up here, I'm just curious, what do we want to make sure that our church leaders and pastors are asking their congregations to be doing digitally? In other words, is there a way of participating in worship and togetherness um, that we have to kind of learn how to do? I, I think the first thing that we have to do is we just have to let everyone know that this is going to be a temporary scenario. And because it's temporary in the short term, we have to do some unique things. And so that's one thing that I always like. So I don't expect that this is going to go on like this forever, but this could happen again in the future, obviously. And so when we're here now, and so I just remind everyone that it's temporary. So like at worship times, we say, listen, if you're in front of your device right now, I want you to stand on up. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, you know, or if you have a time where, where people are kneeling and praying, say, listen, if you can just, I want you to kneel right next to your device right now. Just try and make it as, as normal as it can be in an abnormal scenario. And I think that that's a, a huge thing that we can do to help folks. And I think we just need to ask them to, to, to keep loving God and loving one another. I think in this time of, you know, kind of self-quarantining or, or stay-at-home orders, we want to be able to leverage the time and make it real intentional so that we can grow through this and not be languishing through it. Thank you, Daniel, for this really thoughtful discussion of live streaming and reaching congregations digitally. For people that have feedback, they're welcome to send us an email. We're at podcast at christianitytoday.com. We're also on Twitter at CT Podcast. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments. We ask everyone to share something that has brought them joy recently. Ted, tag your it. You know, I have to say, I am actually enjoying this time with my family being in the same house. We bought some extra Joy-Cons for our Nintendo Switch and have been doing Mario Kart family family tournaments near nightly. 
that has been pleasurable. And I'm also really enjoying, you know, I don't get to, to preach all that often, but I'm enjoying the sermon prep. I will be preaching uh, this weekend on uh, Lazarus. Uh, there's, that's what, you know, was happened to be there. And it, it's just, uh, I find that a, to be a tremendous time of spiritual growth, just preparing a sermon and trying to listen to uh, what <laughs> what does God want me to say? You know, when you're a journalist and you're dealing with ideas and stuff, uh, it's, it's a little bit it's a little bit different questions that you ask. You know, it's always like, what's surprising? What's different? What's uh, what's unique here? And a sermon, man, I, I find much more intimidating of being like, I, I've I, I really have to believe I really have to believe this stuff that I'm that I'm preaching. So I that's always intimidating, and because it's intimidating, it, it's uh, it's a time of good spiritual growth for me. So I'm I'm loving that. That's my that's those are my two precious moments. Are you on social media, Ted? I am. I'm at Ted Olson. That's T E D O L S E N on Twitter. All right, Daniel. Well, one of the things that I'm also enjoying is it's kind of like a forced sabbatical where this get to be the stay at home order is kind of a unique one isn't it where you just right, your your job's to just love people by staying home and that's not something you know with three kids that we would normally do and so uh, a lot like Ted just the enjoyment of kind of just hanging with the family and having family movie nights going out and shooting hoops in the middle of the day when normally everyone would be at school or or I'd be at work or or what have you just really uh, wanting to embrace that and also just seeing the people of God be such a hopeful voice into all that's going on right now. It, we should abide faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And just to see the body of Christ just be the body of Christ, salt and light in the midst of this is really beautiful. All right. So you also have some books that you've written. I'm assuming you have a website and some shows. Can you tell people where they should go to find you outside of this? Oh, yeah. So if you just put my name, Daniel Fusco, into uh, wherever it, my website's danielfusco.com. You know, on Facebook, it's Daniel Fusco. And on Twitter, I think only on Instagram, it's The Fusco. And we have all that kind of stuff that's going on everywhere. And I do have a two books out. So I have a book called Upward, Inward, and Outward, based on the greatest commandment, and also a book called Honestly. And then I have a new book that's going to be coming out in the fall called Crazy Happy. That's, I can't wait for everyone to read. It's going to be so much fun. And I think you just wrote two pieces for our sister publication, Preaching Today, on topics similar to this. So we will make sure that we link those in our show notes as well so people can read those. All right. My precious moment, I think, is just the creativity that I have felt and experienced in the past couple weeks. I told Ted the other day that I think that there's a little bit of clarity when you're in this world of creating and making things that when you're hit by something that's like a global crisis, you already know what you need to create around and kind of what your topic is. And then the next trick is figuring out how you're going to talk about that. But as some of our listeners may know, especially if you guys caught the trailer that we released a couple days ago, Christianity Today is releasing a new podcast called Prayer Amid Pandemic. And I'm really looking forward to being able to work on something that I think is going to tell some important stories in church history and also give us a chance just to hear from other Christians who are around the world. And then I've been working on my own personal podcast as well. That podcast is called All Alone. That's just been interesting to be able to work on those projects and to kind of get immersed in them. And of course, because my social calendar is a lot clearer than it's been, I have time and energy to devote myself to those things. If you do want to subscribe to Prayer Amid Pandemic, you should, because I think it's going to be really good. And that is, of course, available wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. 
that is it for us this week. Thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. We truly appreciate it. You can rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, which is what gives us the biggest bump if you'd like to support us that way. Otherwise, you can support the ministry by you can become a subscriber of Christianity Today by going to orderct.com slash podcasts. And thank you so much for everyone who does support our publication and our ministry in those ways. This podcast is produced by myself and Matt Lindor. Unia Shola does the transcripts. The music is by Sweeps. And we will see you all next week. Take care. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.